so today's uh I've actually got more than um the one uh chapter up here I don't I mean they're not too long I don't know how long we'll go we don't have to finish everything I have on here but it was interesting to me that this is a great example of how their you know the reality that there were not chapter and verse dividers in the original text and the different translations that you read where they divide the chapters you know or especially within the chapter it's, there are differences between the um, Christian translations and the Jewish translation, where the Jewish translation, even though they've added these things for, for ease as well, they often will divide chapters in very different places. And, and there might be like five extra verses on the end of one chapter and cut off from the next one because they, they see that it goes with the previous and not what comes after. So about how this the the program will divide up and give different name titles depending on where you divide the chapters but going from set the end of seven into the beginning of eight uh, if you cut it off at the end of seven it's a thing about judgment but if you just go through verse seven or eight of the next chapter it's about redemption and, and so I've got like three chapters on here because these kept the, t the ideas that were being discussed kept flowing into the next one. So we can cut it off wherever, wherever we need to, but I, I just wanted to try and keep ideas together and, and look at what happens there. So we're going to start, we're doing Isaiah 7, and this is him, he's, he's sent to King Ahaz. And... Is she okay? Yeah. So in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. Okay, so the king of Israel unites with the king of Persia, or Syria, I mean, the king of Syria, to come against Judah, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So they'd come up, but they, they were just kind of setting camp. They hadn't gone into the into actual battling with them yet. Um, if you watch, you know, when you watch different movies that are, you know, old kind of things, you know, Braveheart even, you know, just even back that far, where the people will come in and they'll set up a camp, and everybody's watching them set up a camp, but did they come in war, did they come in peace, they haven't sent their people over with a message yet, so we're watching them, it's always weird to me, because it's all, it's, it's so long a time that they wait, you know, but meanwhile, they're getting ready for whatever inside, and, you know, even, even in, um, when we were doing early American history and the, there's this battle with this fort up in Canada and the description of it is like this really short. So then the president sent, or, you know, the leader of the American army uh, sent this person up there and then they sent word back that this was happening. And then they sent this message back and then, and then, in the middle, like the the leader in the U.S. or in America has to, he writes to the king about something. Ugh, yes, good lord. Um, 
I, I figured out what I've turned off notifications on here thinking it would turn them off on here, but I didn't realize I actually have to go in and turn them off on here first. But anyway, we're, we're looking at this and I said, let's break this down. I said, because it was probably a three month, two to three month trip from where the leader of the, of the American army is up to Canada. And it's like a three to six month, one-way trip to, to England. And the course of what goes on here involves two trips back and forth between the general and the U.S. leader and a message sent to England and returned. So what takes like a tiny little couple of paragraphs was about two years. Wow. What? No, it was like two or three months to travel that far. It would take like a week or two to travel from Canada to... Walking? They were riding horseback. They don't Not walk. all the soldiers. They were it was a whole army sent up. Well, the people... Yeah, the people riding, but then they sent... Like, they sent stuff and no, they sent up to them. The, are we quibbling history? Because even if you take it a month each, the, the ship back to England... Yeah, it takes about three months. Right. Yeah. And it went at least one way back and forth. It was one to two years basically, that this is going on. And I think I was including the original army going up there, encountering them, and they had talks, you know. It's not, so, so it's, you know, it. this one little description is very revealing because they've come up against them, but not quite mounted the attack. So we're in that time when they're setting camp. We're in that extended time that we don't even like to give ourselves in movies. Because we'll show like a clip or two of them setting up camp and then we want to battle. Right. You know? <laughs> we don't want to see all the tent building and the, the mess hall getting set up. That's too, that's boring. Um, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Okay, Ephraim being the shorthand for Israel, the northern kingdom. And the house of David being Ahaz. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So they were terrified. I guess so, Persia and... Syria, but yeah, Syria and the northern kingdom all camped at your wall. And you're a Judah. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord said to Isaiah... Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. At, now, was it his actual son or was it his apprentice? Probably the disciple that he was training. You know, possibly the one who was recording all of these things so that he could document what happened. And at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So God's very specific. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. And, you know, when I hear that, that makes me think, watch your actions, watch your mouth, Watch your mind, 
Watch your emotions. Because of these, don't be faint, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. So God gives you a much more accurate de description of who they are. I know it looks like giant war coming and big giant battles, but from God's perspective, they're smoldering stumps of firebrands. The fire's gone out. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, with Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God. So God's telling them, I know their plans. I know what's in their hearts. This is what's coming. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Okay, he's saying this is their idea. I'm letting you know, not going to happen. I am not with them. This is not from me. For the hand of, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So he's got Rezin there, and he's got Ramalia there, and he's going to cut off the heads. That's why they're there. So your two enemies, I'm cutting them off at the source. Um, so the sign of Emmanuel is the next, the next section here in seven. Really? And that's tied in with... Yeah. Yeah, the context of a lot of these things is really... Interesting. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's good when the, when the, when the comparisons or the, the quotes do come in the Gospels or from Paul to go and look at what was happening and really understand what point they're making. But we've got so many of them just taken out... And, and again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Okay. So this is this, I really love this exchange because God is saying, ask me whatever question you have, anything as deep as the grave in the ground, as high as the throne room of God. Um, another way about what's actually physically going to happen in this battle or about my thoughts on it. Ask me, you know, physical, spiritual, ask me anything. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is the context of these quotes. Now, again, very often there's a now and later quality, but we need to keep it in context for understanding it. So he says, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Okay. So does Yeshua need to learn how to refuse the evil and choose the good? This, this is one of those verses where Jewish people who at all know their Bible go, what are you talking about? This is, this is about, really? You think that's what this is about? But let's keep looking at the context. So the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and, and upon your father's uh, house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria. Okay, so there are, there is a concept, you know, this concept of there being battles and, and things that happen and in the context of that, you know, Emmanuel coming. But he says, in that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet or the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. So this this force with the king from the king of Assyria that's going to come and you know shaving away their beard. Um, you know, removing removing the hair of the head. It's, it's a very it's it's your head, your feet the beard, your face. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. So there's blessing in here, but there's also this idea that you're not eating the meat. You know, don't, don't eat the cow or the sheep. <laughs> but there will be enough from them to sustain you. Uh, it's like cottage cheese. Yeah, the curdly milk. Yeah, yeah, and the whey, I think, is the, the liquid part. So with Little Miss Tuffet with her curds and or Little Miss Muffet with her curds and whey, yeah. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. 
With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns. But they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. So the cities are going to be taken down, your vineyards taken down. So he's talking about the, you know, he is talking about the coming Assyrian invasion. So again, I'm not saying that that the, the talk about Emmanuel doesn't have application with, with Yeshua, with Messiah. But there's a very big description of what's happening here that that's set in the context of. It's not one of those verses that you can just pluck out and go, look, this is Jesus. You know, it's, there's, there's so much going on here that, that is contextual and at that time. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters. Belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest and Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So, doesn't tell us who the prophetess is, and she might just be a prophetess because she knows the purpose of her son. You know, but there, this boy is, you know, this boy is going to be conceived, and before he can speak, so he's telling him how soon this is going to happen. Before this child can speak, these things are going to be happening. They're, the north is going to be taken into, so Damascus and Samaria, so Syria and the northern kingdom, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Um, so basically, you know, he's telling them, I know, that, I know that Syria and Israel are at your door. This is their plan. Do not even worry about it. In this short of a time, I've got Assyria coming in to take them out. They will not be a threat for long. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, so peace, and, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. So, so the ones who's out sitting there is um, Israel... Syria. Israel and Syria, also Assyria. Damascus and and Samaria, they're, they're called that. Those are the those are other names. So it, it and that's what's hard. It switches back and I forth know. between the names. So it yes, it's Syria, which is also Damascus. Right. Okay. Um, and then it's Israel, which is Samaria is its capital. Okay. In the land of the Ephraimites. So that's why it's it's no it's called by Israel, it's called by Samaria, and it's called by Ephraim. Yeah. But it's all the ten northern kingdoms. Like I know it sounds like why are we talking about these different people now? What the heck? 
But and yeah. Syria, are they related to Syria? Syria and Assyria are different. different. They're different, yeah. Um, so he's got Assyria coming in to take them out. And they've, they've refused the waters of, of salvation that flow gently. And they rejoice over the kings who, who want war. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep up into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel." So Assyria really comes in and, and runs, because I think, I think we were reading before about Assyria's goal being to take on, to take Egypt. Yeah. But it, and so they weren't really, they weren't coming to battle them. They were just in the way. They were in the way, the way on their way to, to Egypt. So they they were going to take them too. <laughs> yeah, well, you almost get the idea that, that you know, they were an afterthought and God was like, hey, while you're down there, <laughs> take care yeah, of this problem. Take care of this problem. You've been wanting to take them anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. So all you nations, plot as much as you want. Make alliances with each other. Come out together. Put on your armor. All y'all thinking that you're going to come in and take us. But God's not with you. He's with us. So we're going to stand. We're good. So now they're waiting on God. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So think about, you know, calling conspiracy. Oh, they're all out to get us. Oh, they're all together. Oh, look, they're plotting against us. Oh, you know, they're like, who's in league with them? These people must be, they must be out to get me. It's like, don't call conspiracy everything they call conspiracy. Makes me think of, of watching, the, just watching the news anymore. If you watch any of the, the, who's in this together? And do they mean this? And what are they in to get? You know, nah, stop it. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And I, I love how it doesn't say, it doesn't, it's not just completely this idea of fear him and dread him, but you don't fear those people and what they're doing. You relax in the fact that they fear God. Let God be your fear. Yeah. Let him be your dread. But let him be your protector and defender. You don't have to do it. If they're coming against you and you're on the side of God in, in whatever it is, they're coming against him. And he will become a sanctuary 
and a stone of offense, which interestingly is not the same as offense. <laughs> wow. Because when it talks about, you know, there's all this talk about, because he say, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. It's, you know, there's talk about, oh, people will be offended. People will be offended by the gospel. But it's really that the gospel is offense. It's your, it's what you're fighting with, you know, it's, and the, and the whole, um, picture of uh, the cornerstone. You know, they're going to trip over him. And and so, in a sense, we do see hints of God's ultimate plan, including Yeshua, who is going to become a stumbling block. What he does becomes a stumbling block. And they take offense. But he is the sanctuary. And the stone of offense He's their defender. You know, he's the one who's, he's in the battle. He's doing these things. He's taking it on. And, um, and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And at the same time, being broken isn't a bad thing when you're dealing with Messiah. Because when you're when you're broken, it's like kind of like we were talking before we even started. That idea that when you where you realize when God lets you go through things that you realize where your breaks are and where your cracks are and where your imperfections are. So that then he can come in then we're willing to embrace his healing. Um Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So then the darkness turns to light. But again, still, all of this in the context, he's showing him things in the context of what is happening at that time. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Yeah, the calling on the dead. Yeah, the ones who summon the spirits from the grave. Okay, I heard that in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and the necromancers, yeah. I think one of the difference being that the mediums were the people that could, you know, were in tune with the spiritual thing. They were like a medium between the spiritual and the physical. Yeah. And they would be willing to share what they were learning versus the necromancers who were actually calling people from the grave to, you know, to talk to them. Um, who chirp and mutter. And and honestly, I'm gonna just I'm gonna say it right now. That whole chirping and muttering thing. Yes. One of the the concerns with groups that 
do public speaking in tongues with no interpretation is that you can have people who are chirping and muttering and nobody knows that they're doing it. You know, when Paul says, says, don't do this in, you know, don't do this in your corporate services without someone to interpret. Otherwise, how do you know what you're saying yes and amen to? So should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. And that no dawn um, understanding. The light hasn't come on in them. They don't have that spiritual understanding. It's the same kind of picture that we see back when Jacob is wrestling. And, it's, and it says, let me go for the dawn is coming. You know, that was one of the things that always bothered me. It's like, why does who he's wrestling with care if the sun comes up? I know. You know, it's not wrestling a vampire. There's no, you know, if it, if it is Yeshua, then he's the light. What, what is this fear of the dawn? Rather than when I started looking into the idea and realizing, oh, he's saying, stop wrestling with me. You understand. You already know. Knock it off. So they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, um, which is the, the, by the waters. Um, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I would suggest that the context for this is God revealing to and through Isaiah why he is preserving Judah. Because from Judah will come Messiah. There is a purpose beyond this battle. There is a purpose beyond your enemies. 
they don't really understand why they're being compelled to come against you. But God says, I do. And it's the same reason they will not have victory. I am preserving you. I am preserving Judah. Not because, you know, and this is where you've got to be careful when you're, when you're reading and studying the different things about the, the ten northern kingdoms and, and Judah and the, the, the distinctions between Israel and Judah in the prophecies and what does that mean to us today. Well, what it, I think at the, the nugget of actually what it means is that it's not that God loves Judah more or God wants to preserve certain lines from Jacob, but not others, or, or any of those, you know, is any of that a part of it? Eh. I've heard arguments that, that, you know, sound wholly anti-Semitic, and others that sound, you know, okay, I can see the reasoning for that. It doesn't sound hateful. It doesn't sound divisive. But why is Judah preserved? Because the prophecy was always that Messiah would come through Judah. So is God going to let Judah be destroyed because Syria and Ephraim have come against it? No, he's not. There's going to be preservation because the purpose isn't done. You know, to us... And Assyria is going to bring that. Aren't they going to take them off? Gonna... Well, Assyria takes off the northern kingdoms. Oh, okay. So they, and then they, Babylon they... takes off the southern. Babylon oh, okay. takes Judah. Takes Judah. Okay. Yeah. And, and about 300 years after uh-huh. thing with this. And because, yeah, it's a long time after. I mean, we read the stories just because there's not a lot of stories in between doesn't, you know... It's when you actually start adding the years of the kings in the northern, uh, the southern kingdom after Assyria has taken the northern. Yeah. It goes. It's quite long. You know, with with lots of yeah, and there's lots of this king kind of repents, and so God says, "Fine, it won't happen in your generation." And then yeah. you know, and then it comes in, okay, and then it gets to the point where it's like, "Nope, it's it's happening now. Yeah. It's happening." So from Judah. This, this this child will be born and come. The government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, this is both why the Jews at the time Yeshua lived, when he started saying that he was the Messiah, started expecting and preparing for a battle. They wanted him to take this earthly throne. This is also why a lot of Jews today reject the idea that he's the Messiah because he didn't do this. This is the the idea that uh, a lot of Christianity, you know, in different doctrines say, well, this is when he comes again. Right. And at the same time, 
you know, trying to decide what that has to look like, we should maybe learn better because every time people think they know what something's going to look like, they it doesn't usually look like that. Yeah. So is the increase of his government and his kingdom a spiritual kingdom or the physical kingdom? Now it says on the throne of David. So there is a physical kingdom aspect to it. Um, but there's also, you know, there's also, is he, is it about sitting on a literal throne or is it about ruling over and, and, and having that authority and making the decisions, establishing it? I mean, it's been... The, they've gone back to Israel that has been established. He's upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So it may be one of those things where this is a sentence talking about a long period of time and a process, and we want to read one sentence and have it be one event. Uh, no. You know? I mean, we do that. I'm like, well, there's a period. It's over. That's a full thought. Stop. So... The Lord, she wants a horsey ride. Or she like goes down her leg like it's a slide. Yeah, of course she does. Because that's what kids do. So the Lord's anger against arrogance. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of Rezin against him and stirs up his enemies. Because that's a, it's a, so I assume that the, the cedar is more a sturdy of a tree. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And they're saying, you know, yeah, we've been torn down, we've been attacked, we've been, our stuff has been destroyed, we're going to build up even stronger. We're going to be even more secure. We're going to come back from this. Oh, it does. It does. And I think that fragrance is probably part of, you know, we're going to have an even better fragrance. You know, if you think about how people talk about themselves even. You know, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been beaten down, but I'm going to come back. You know, in, in bigger glory, and um, and the the you know the the Lord raises the adversaries. It's it would be very easy to read this. The Lord raises adversaries against him. Right. But if you look at it, it's the Lord raises the adversaries of Rezin. Rezin already has adversaries. The Lord's going to have him, he's going to stir them up to do some stuff now. It's not like he's making people hate him. Right. You know, it's this idea that, that the fact that they haven't come against him yet is because God's kept him back. So God's saying, okay, that time, I, I'm not stopping you this time. This is for a purpose. The Syrians on the east, so if you look at, you know, if you look, think about the map of Israel, the Syrians on the east... And the Philistines on the west, because they're by by the water, um, devour Israel with open mouth. 
For all this, his anger has not turned away. And his hand is stretched out still. So they're destroying him. And Israel's anger, Israel's not learning from it. Israel's not turning away from their goal and turning back to the Lord. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. They're, they're not looking to him for, for salvation in all of this. So the Lord's anger against deceivers. I don't know why that did that funky thing there. Kind of weird. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. And somebody leads you astray, you're swallowed up. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, like, again, I'm not attempting to take this and say that God's talking about something else, but deriving from what is being said here, it makes me think of something else with this same kind of dynamic is, you know, we've got teachers today who are teaching lies and teaching. And, and ironically, you know, these ideas of who's supposed to be in charge and who's supposed to be making all the decisions and deciding who God is going to use and isn't going to use. Whether it be this race, that race, this nation, that nation, these people who understand versus these people, this denomination versus that, men versus women. You know, anytime you've got that, these people saying that these are over the other, they're actually the tail. You know, they're coming from underneath, trying to put themselves on top. Because frankly, if God has you being on, on top, you don't have to tell anybody. It'll be obvious. Anytime you go around screaming about your position and your place, I start to go, mm, maybe not so sure in that. Who are you trying to convince, me or you? I know. You know, if you are, if that is what you're supposed to do, just go do it. But when you're standing and yelling and saying nobody else is allowed to, why? Why is anybody else doing it a threat to you? For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. That sucks because you know most people are guided by stuff like that. They're, well, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I know, but that sucks. It does, but keep in mind, there's the temporal and the eternal. And among those who are taught by them, not everyone will allow themselves to be guided by them. You know, there are lots of people that when somebody starts teaching something that's crazy and off base, they go, I don't think I buy this. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll watch for a while. Or, you know, I'm out of here. Or, mm, I don't know. I'm going to see what the fruit of this is. And then there are other people who, yes, we are running after you. Great, what you have. But even then, it's part of their journey. She's not 
you know, because Jonah was swallowed up. And even in the fish, he was able to cry out to God. But what does it mean to be swallowed up? Um, I think it would be... It's not an end-all, be-all. I don't think it's an end-all, be It may include death. I don't think it's an end-all, be-all, spiritual or necessarily physical. It just means that if you follow someone into destruction, that's where you find yourself. I mean, and in this case, it, you know, it could be... A prisoner in Assyria. You know, you you have... Because, remember, they were all supposed to be going down to Judah to the temple multiple times a year. And some did. And some stayed in Judah. And some went down to the southern kingdom because they saw what was happening in the northern kingdom. So if you continue to follow what they're telling you you're supposed to be doing up there, you're going to go into captivity with them. That's being swallowed up. You don't have your freedom. And again, from there, you you know, some come back. It's, It's not. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. And that's not the same thing Same thing as saying, you know, in general, God is not moved on behalf of, you know, he does not love or, or have concern about what they're going through. But he's not, you know, the fatherless, he's not having mercy on them and giving them children. He's not bringing anyone to care for the widows. I think that's Laura. Yeah. Okay, for, you know, and then again, God doesn't rejoice over the young men. He has no compassion on the fatherless and the widows. What's wrong with God? Well, if you keep, for everyone is godless and an evildoer. Yeah. Why is he going to pour out his blessings on people who are actively being godless and evildoers so that they can think they're good? So that they can think that's the right thing to be on? Yeah. Hello. And every mouth speaks folly. She's trying to, is she putting it down or sliding? I know mine. I have to have Bill get down there and push it while I'm pushing. I don't know why. There you go. She's got the touch. She knows how to do it. It's like Fonzie with the thing, right? I'll hug you in a bit. For all this, his anger has not turned away. And this is, this. you know, for all this, this is why his anger has not turned away. We're talking about Isaiah's prophecies about Assyria coming in and taking out the northern kingdom. Oh. And and um, a lot, just to kind of catch you up, the verses about, you know, you, you should call his name Emmanuel. And um, what was the one we were just reading about? Oh, his name shall be, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's all in the context of these prophecies about Assyria coming. Okay. Because... 
Israel, the northern kingdom, has partnered with Syria to come down and attack Judah. And Israel goes out to meet uh, King Ahaz of Judah and tell him, do not worry, because they're terrified. He says, don't worry. They're not going, this is what they're thinking they'll accomplish. They're not going to accomplish it. Who's saying that? Uh, it, Isaiah. Okay. So and and he's, Ahab is coming against no, King, king Ahaz is the king of Judah right now yes. at this point. Okay. okay. No, there's Ahab. Oh, that's different. Yeah. Okay. So Ahaz, it makes it so hard when they're, they're all so close. And we were talking, like, Syria and Israel are all called by three different names throughout the province. So you have to remember, sometimes they're called by their capital city. Sometimes they're called by their king. Sometimes they're called by the name of their country. Okay. So, you know, Israel is also called Ephraim, is also called uh, Samaria, is also called, um, is it Rezin, I think is, his, is their yes. king right now. Yeah. So, so it's the name of the king, the name of the capital city, the name of the tribe whose land the, cap, the new capital is in, and the name of, of where, the, uh, where they've set up the false temple, and then Israel, the northern kingdom. So, so one of the things, one of the things that I was suggesting is when we pull, you know, when we pull out the verses, and I'm not saying that they don't also describe Messiah, but the verses in context, um, the one I, I, I'm suggesting that the verse is talking about Messiah coming out of Judah is Isaiah telling them, telling the king, this is why Judah will not be destroyed. Because Messiah is going to come from Judah. So you don't have to worry. You know, there's there's another, I think, and I think it may be later in Isaiah, but there's prophecy about the rod will not pass from Judah. The scepter will not pass from Judah until um, the rod arises out of them. So So there's this idea... If Messiah is going to come from Judah, you can have full confidence that Judah will survive. You know, if God's going to do this in you, you still get to stick around. until Now, you might not have a lovely life the whole time. You might not always be where you're supposed to be. You might get taken captive up to Babylon. But you will still be preserved. Because God is not done. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I say... I don't believe that you die until you've accomplished your purpose for which God had you born. Or I think in some extreme cases, you put your foot down and refuse that purpose. <laughs> but I think really, not that I'm saying, oh, you finished your purpose, you're done, boop, you're dead. But I take comfort in the fact that whatever their purpose was, they fulfilled it. And it's safe for God to go home, you know, for them to go home with God. That I, I don't have to play the, but they could have done all these things. But what could their life have been? But what might have come for them? I can say, thank you for fulfilling your purpose through them. You know, thank you for, for whatever you sent them to do for us. And, you know, and, and, and to love us and to be in our lives. We might feel they were taken too soon. I do say that, but that's unique for Judah, but not for everybody. Right? But, but I mean, for, but I mean, for if God's got a purpose for your life that you're going to accomplish, and that's part of His plan, yeah, I believe that you're not going to die till it's done. But what about people who die and don't fulfill that purpose? 
Why do you think that they didn't fulfill the purpose? Because they didn't know what it was. Doesn't mean they didn't fulfill it. You know, a conversation I was in online with a woman years ago, with a lot of people, but talking about the concepts of good and bad being ours. Like we look at something that happens and we decide if it's good or bad. You know, God's perspective is different. God sees the big picture. So, like, you know, consider it pure joy. You know, if I'm able to look and go, wow, I am going through this really hard thing. What is God revealing to me about myself? What do I need to learn and prepare for the next phase of what I'm going to do? I, I feel differently about it. And I think differently about it than if I'm like, what is this happening? Which is what most people Right. You know, which I've been there a lot. And sometimes I still catch myself there and go, wait, I'm supposed to be doing this, but I don't want to do it right now. I want to cry, you know. So I'm not I'm not condemning the other. It, it's, it's real and it's emotional and it hurts. But we bring the good or bad idea. You know, it just is. Now, there's evil, and I'm not suggesting that evil is not evil. But even when we're confronted with evil, we bring the emotional description of it. And so, I mean, it's a limited choice because we can only do what we can do. But, also but right, it, we have the choice to learn and grow, but, but you know, we, we've got to be careful because we don't have the choice to be sad about it. Sometimes we're just sad. Yeah. Now, what that moves us to do and how we take every thought captive and go, what am I, you know, let me, let me think about this correctly. It might not change my feelings right now. Over time it might. Right. But I believe that once we, that we're spiritually mad, because the word says we're spiritually mad instead of emotionally mad, that like you said, once we get that wow, 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 the way we right. rise and get the spiritual point, that our feelings will follow what we're supposed to do. And they eventually do. You might still feel sad about it. Like, you know, when you look back on the loss of your son, I have no doubt that you have sadness and heaviness, but it's not defining you. You know, you've put it into an eternal perspective. You've surrendered it to God. You've grown from it. You learned from it. You took that into the next thing. But this woman, there was a woman who was just, she was just spitfire angry at that idea. And I couldn't, like, she was really angry about it. And I was like, you know, oh, so you're saying that? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I don't know. What are you hearing me saying? Well, she had miscarried a baby late in the pregnancy. And she was hearing me saying that if you just had the right perspective, you'd see that it's good your baby died. That's what she was hearing. Not what I was saying at all. And when she said that, I was like, whoa, no. Let's step back for a minute. Yeah. You know, but one of the things, you know, I said, I, I, I'm confident in this because this, you know, different people can go through the exact same thing and feel differently about it and think differently about it. And move on differently from it. So a couple, you know, the thread kind of died. I think it was over the weekend. And Monday or Tuesday, she came back to it and she said, "I want, I need you to know that when I logged off three days ago, I was so angry, and I was never coming back, not just to this discussion, but to this entire board." 
She said, I was so angry about what was being said. But I started thinking, wow, I'm really angry. I need to pray about this. And, and she shared that, you know, she had felt horror, you know, like she did, she didn't want to be pregnant and she'd, she'd finally worked that point of resolution and going, okay, I'm pregnant, started to find joy in it. And then the baby was gone. And she said, why did I, why did God let me have joy? Why did God even do that? I feel like I was on an emotional roller coaster. I feel like I got punked by God. And, she, and then she said, but I thought about it, and I thought, wait, what if that baby's purpose was to move me into a more surrendered position with God, where I was more willing to let him do things that I hadn't previously thought? And if that was that baby's purpose before they left and they fulfilled their purpose, I don't have to be quite so distraught about it. I'm still sad. And it's not necessarily bad. Right. But at the same time, you can't sit up there and go, Yeah, I said, I'm not saying. That she's gone. Yeah, it's not like I'm going, oh, it's good your baby's gone. I'm glad your baby died. You should be happy. You know, it's, it's, you know, and that's, but that's what she was hearing. But that point of, wow, okay, I can, maybe I can look at this as, and, and not see it, you know, see it differently. So. When we're talking about, you know, God's purposes and the things that God's going to do, God's not going to let Judah disappear because Messiah is going to come from him. So all Judah has to remember in the face of whatever they literally face is, now, God is on the side of preserving Judah. Judah is not always on God's side. Okay, and that there's the difference that's really key. You can't be Judah and go, we can do whatever we want, and God's got to preserve us because Messiah's coming. So, you know, whatever, let's go do what we want, and we know God won't take us out. And, yes, oh, yes. Uh, I'm one of God's chosen. Whatever I do must be inspired by him. Mm, not the hateful stuff, no. Now, that's where you end up with all the prophecies about remnant, <laughs> Be, be confident that God's preserving you. You not remnant, maybe consider becoming part of the remnant because God can preserve Judah without keeping all y'all free to do whatever you want, running rampant with your sin. Okay, so just, you know, like with Jonah, God had something he was going to have him do. Jonah had to learn some things on the way. Jonah got to be swallowed up in a, by a fish. It's not like it's not like God's it's not like God's wrapping his chosen people with bubble wrap. Yeah. And nothing's gonna touch you. Yeah, right. It's more that God knows you and knows that you will eventually learn from these things, and this is why you were chosen for this purpose, and whatever you have to go through is what's gotta get you ready. Could it be could could you get that same lesson from other things? Yeah. Very often the reason you go through it might have to do with what you're going through. You know, like with Bill and I, there, were, there was a point in time where God had told me, you know, you've got, you're going through these things. You need to go through these things. You need to get out of my way and be willing to go through them because I need to teach your husband some things. And so the whole time I was like, well, at least I know I'm not going through this because of me. We're going through this because of him. So I, I may have to go through it, but I don't, you know. And then, but then we got to the other end of it and I went, 
oh, you were teaching me a lot. <laughs> and I, so I realized maybe what we were going through was because of the specific lesson he needed to learn. And God might have been able to teach me those lessons in other ways. But that was the way he chose because we were going to go through it. So, you know, and I had to learn to get out of the way. You know, so there were there were things. It God, God's far more complex than we give him credit for. You know, we want to we want to go around with our limited idea going, Mah! but you know, the Lord He's talking about. You know, this is why they're going to be taken out. This is what's going to happen. So the, all the all His anger has not turned away, and His hand is stretched out still. And He says. Um, this is wrath that burns like fire. It says, for wickedness burns like a fire. And I love, see, they talk about, you know, this is when I'm talking, the program is, I, I'm copying the titles that they give for how they've divided up the verses. Yeah. You know, wrath that burns like fire. Wrath? Yeah. Or wickedness? Yeah. Yeah. This is, and this is one of the verses that I would actually suggest that the wrath of God is our wickedness that he took from us upon himself on the cross. He took our wickedness away from us. It became his wrath. Not that wrath, because we hear wrath and we go, oh, he's coming after us. He's so angry. He's so mad. But, but think about this for a second. What if, the wrath that God's holding is our our it's our wickedness. And the idea of his wrath being poured out on some people. Think about it, think about it this way, okay? All of the wickedness that you've done, when you go to the Lord and you say, I, I surrender that to you, I know what I've done. Thank you that your your salvation, you know, your offer of salvation extends to me and that you've washed me clean and it is not applied to you. But if God has taken your wickedness, you know, that your the wrath, he experienced the wrath that your wickedness deserved. If you have an attitude of I don't surrender that to you. I, you know, who are you in my life? I don't, you're, you're not God over me. You know, I, I, I want nothing to do with you. And you're given a, even a part of your wickedness back, the wrath that was due your wickedness, because you demanded it back. It's a different way to look at when we suffer. If we're holding on to the wickedness, the suffering we experience due that wickedness is not God punishing us. It's us saying, no, I want that wrath back. I want to experience the suffering for my weakness. I want to hold on to that wickedness. Is that what you're saying? That's what people do. I, I'm, saying, I'm saying that it's a... People, when people talk about the wrath of God, 
it's usually situated in this angry God context. lightning bolts. God's mad at you. God's got wrath. But if wrath is, is what is due, the wages of sin is death. If wrath is the punishment that is due the wages, as the wages of your sin, then the idea of the wrath of God, the, the punishment that he endured on our behalf is his wrath. We, we, it's not like we, it's not even we cause God to be angry. Our sin resulted in him suffering on our behalf. And when we understand that he took it upon himself, and we're able to go, thank you. Show me how to live. Show me what to do. We are able to walk in a life that is free from the punishment of sin and death and full of life and obedience. Those areas of our life where we struggle and suffer and people want to say, God in his wrath is punishing you. I would suggest we need to look at it as God took that wrath. Why do you want it back? Why are you holding on to the wickedness that brings that wrath when you don't have to? Because our choices say something about us, not the other person. If we're suffering, it's not because God wants us to suffer. It's because we don't yet understand that we don't have to suffer in that way. We haven't yet really turned that over to God. And that's, that's the, you know, when Paul is talking about you're, you're suffering needlessly, you're, you're, you're enduring these things that you don't need to, let it go, get, you know, give it to God. So it's not, it's, it's not even like God sitting up there going, well, if you just give it to me, it'd be gone. He's saying, I already took this. Why do you insist on going through it too? I already re- removed this from you. I took the wrath. I took the punishment. I took the wages of sin. You are now free from the power of sin and death because I took it. Stop taking it back. Stop insisting on holding on to it. And because what happens, as soon as we repent, as soon as we go, oh, yes, take it. He's, I already did. <laughs> I already did. I got it. Which is part of what I think Paul is talking about when he's talking, um, I want to say in Corinthians, about you can't, God can't, you know, Yeshua is not going to go up on a cross again and die for you. It might be, it might be Hebrews. I'd have to go look up the exact quote. I, I, but he's saying, you know, the author of the book is saying, he's not going to die again for you. Stop acting like you're getting saved again. Live in the victory of that salvation. Live in the understanding of what that salvation means. But you don't need him to die again for you. You know, when we, when we, Right. When we resubmit our life to God, he's not dying for us. We're going, oh, yeah. 
Now I remember. Now I understand. Oh, oh, this too. Okay. Hadn't realized I held on to that. Yes. You got it. It's already yours. Why am I trying to carry this? And, and if you go back to how Judah came to King Ahaz at the beginning, it's very much like that. He comes and says, stop being afraid. Stop trembling. And that's what this whole prophecy is about. Let me, get, let me remind you of, of God's purposes for you. Let me remind you of what God's doing with you. Let me remind you of who your enemies are and why, and why they're not going to have victory. So he says, for wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry, and they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. It's really, I mean, it's very graphic. But it's also what, it's what our sin causes us to live like. We're bringing it on ourselves. We're doing it to ourselves. Whatever we think we're doing to somebody else, it, we're doing it to ourselves. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Wow. Together they are against Judah. Well, that's what he's saying. Too, huh? The northern kingdoms. Oh, he's saying they're all united against Judah, but they're devouring each other. Right. Which is why they will not have victory. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Wasn't it Judah and Benjamin? It's a smaller tribe. It's Benjamin and also, um, oh, Simeon. Because Simeon's land was pockets of land in the middle of Judah. So, but, but this is, you have to keep this in mind because, and this is also something to keep in mind when you're reading people's writings about the Northern Kingdom and the 12, you know, the 10 tribes, because once you add Ephraim and Manasseh, you actually have 13 tribes you're talking about. So Simeon is still down there pocketed in the middle of Judah, supposed to be learning from the mercy of Judah that surrounds the judge, judgment and legalism of Simeon. And then Benjamin is down there also. So, so that's, he keeps doing that imposing thing. That's really weird. Um, so basically, you know, that's, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about how, yeah, they're coming after you, but they're going to be taken by Assyria. So really all he had to preserve was Judah because that's where the line mm -hmm. where Jesus is coming through. Right. And uh, not all the other, not everyone from, I, I was telling someone a week or so ago, Hebrew writing loves hyperbole. All and every and forever and always. And a lot of times when it says all, it means, you know, all that this applies to. Because, you know, even like when it's talking about the Pharisees, all of you 
Well, all of who? Well, the some Pharisees who were there. It's not saying it about every Pharisee everywhere in Israel. But all of you right here, I know you. This is why you're here. So, so there are still, when we go into the New Testament, there are all of the tribes re- referenced. Somebody from this tribe and somebody, not all the tribes went off into captivity. Not everyone from them. They're the people who stayed up there, the people there at that time, the people who didn't understand and come back. Um, there were pe- but there were people, and we, we've read about it a couple times going through the histories, there were people who stayed in Judah or moved to Judah because they did not like what was happening. Oh, you're setting up a false temple. I'm going to go to Judah. And in doing so, they were abandoning their land of inheritance. They were abandoning their birthright in the physical but they were clinging to their birthright in the spiritual. And, and so, you know, that's why there's, there's you know, when, when Israel, or when Isaiah comes to them at the beginning of this section, he's like, stop being afraid. And he, t- he tells them, what was it, you know, basically still your bodies, quiet your mouth, you know, calm your mind, take your thoughts captive and calm your emotions and your heart. God's got this. Don't go running off and doing something crazy. Don't act out of fear. Don't act out of what you see in the physical. Yes, a big army's come against you. God knows. But here's why they're not going to succeed. Because out of you comes the Messiah. And they are doing this against God, not in obedience to him. So it's, it's a really... It's a beautiful reminder. I, I also see kind of a caution because sometimes you're preserved not for your own sake, but because you haven't yet fulfilled what you're supposed to do. And yet being saved from something, we sometimes tend to get prideful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that Isaiah beautifully addresses that potential for pride. Oh, yeah. You know, don't be afraid. But, you know, don't think it's because you're great. <laughs> It's because Messiah is going to come out of you. So because of that, how about making these changes and living this way? Don't live like them. But, but that being the context for, for Isaiah sharing these things about Messiah, I think it's really, it's really beautiful. And, and a good reminder that no matter what we think we're facing, we can rest in God. We can rely on him. He's our salvation. He's our victor. He's our defender. He, he's our offense. And, and it was really neat because a lot of t- you know, people talk about, you know, the passages about, oh, he's the stumbling block. And, you know, the, the cornerstone on which they stumble comes out of this. But, it's, but he, in the context, it's not saying that people will be offended by him. It's saying he is the offense. He's the one going out. And so I, I, think it's, I think it's neat to remember the context for these things. So we'll go ahead and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen. We'll stop the recording and then I want to.